Fiona Blaine, Saturday, April 15, 1989, Mount Everest, Nepal, South Coal Base Camp No. 4, Elevation 26,299 feet. Try as I may, I simply cannot breathe. The rapid beating of my heart has become a clock inside my heaving chest. It's raggedy tick-tock, tick-tock, repeating over and over. Catching my breath is like an impossible game, one that I am losing. I can't remember exactly how long I've been counting the thumps in my chest to gauge the passage of time. Physical exertion, hypothermia, and confusion from hypoxia have relegated me to a disheveled lunatic. I lay on my side vacantly staring at the wall of the tent, my world tipped askew. Violent winds buffet the nylon, which fails to stop the searing cold, acting only as minor wind abatement. Being unable or unwilling to use my frozen hands, I clutch my arms to my chest. I still wear all of my climbing gear, leaving me mummified in too many layers to move. Steam bleeds out around the corners of my oxygen mask in short puffs. Breathing coming in quick, short bursts, my body tries to compensate for the virtually non-existent atmosphere. I flinch when the zipper on the tent flap opens, but the adrenaline jolt I expect doesn't come. I simply turn my head weakly and blink to clear my vision. Samir, the Sherpa who has acted as our guide, pulls the zipper down behind himself and stares at me. You need to get some layers off and get in your sleeping bag, he orders. Try and get some rest. We have to start down as soon as the sun breaks. Carl, I gasp, but my lungs fail to produce the requisite air to speak clearly. Samir already knows what I am asking and shakes his head slowly. Twenty-four hours ago... Four of us left this tent and made our final push for the summit. Fighting whiteout snow conditions and frigid temperatures, we reached the summit in a little over nine hours. Poor weather aside, our triumphant celebration went on far too long. After nearly an hour, Samir herded us back down Hillary's step toward the south summit. It quickly became clear that we were in trouble. Wind and snow tore at our clothes, causing us to teeter on every step. By the time we hit the balcony, still three hours or more from where I currently lay, Zachary had started falling behind. My beloved Carl brought up the rear, driving him forward, unwilling to leave anyone behind. On instruction from my husband, Samir coaxed me along in the front. I don't recall when I lost sight of them or if there was even a conversation regarding any sort of plan. What I do remember is Samir setting me down carefully inside the tent, adjusting my oxygen mask and disappearing back out into the blizzard. Any climber who's made it this far is well aware that you have to make it to the top and get back down to the South Coal Base Camp by the time the sun goes down. You get one shot at a summit attempt from here and only one. It's now pitch dark at 10 p.m. and I've been here at least an hour. Having not been conscious for that entire time, I can't say with any certainty if Samir went back to search for Carl and Zachary or simply stepped outside briefly. Only a few feet away in the cramped space, he slowly peels off his glacier glasses. 
He avoids looking in my direction and pulls the mittens off his hands, which still leaves him with three layers of gloves. Finding myself unable to muster tears or any emotion, really, I let my head drop back to the ground, eyelids fluttering reflexively. I replayed the descent in my mind and try to remember if Carl spoke to me before we were separated. I'm clinging to the hope that he will come through the tent flap any minute, but I secretly wonder what the last thing he said to me could have been. I float in and out of my frozen body to this dream world that replays the day's events in my confused mind. A drop of water runs down my glacier glasses and I watch it as time passes imperceptibly slowly.